All right, so, uh, all right, so I'm gonna do the intro and then we're gonna talk about books. Cool. Talk about books. Talk about books and Beth. Woo. Oh, we are. Yeah. yeah. Duh. Huh. Um, I'm all right. excited for Beth to hear this episode. Me too. We're gonna drag her. Just kidding. She's <laughs> she's undraggable. She's the best. She is. She's yeah. All right. So, all right. Be quiet. You you be quiet. This is my show. Uh, you no, be quiet. It's not. It is my. I am interviewing you. No, you're not. We're doing that at a later date. Not it's right true. now. All right. All right. Stop talking. <laughs> this is gonna be the biggest disaster to edit. It's gonna be amazing. I can't wait. <laughs> Fudge. Die Ghosttober episode where I talk to authors who write spooky, scary, or disturbing books and find out all about their writing process and how they keep readers hiding under the covers. Today we have Kat Cho, author of the currently titled Gumiho, which is out next year. How are you, Kat? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited to pretend that I don't know everything about your writing career. For I know. <laughs> I was literally going to be like, hi, complete stranger. How are you doing? I did not literally just talk to you like an hour ago. Or we were just talking for literally 15 minutes before the interview started. Listen, are you going to expose all of our secrets on yes. this podcast? Yes. This is not what I this signed up for. This is the secrets episode, everybody. I am a mystery. I'm shrouded in mystery, no, and I need not. you to keep that up. You can't even <laughs> subtweet correctly. You tell people when you subtweet them. You have it's no nice mystery. To, it's a nice thing to do, Clarabelle. <laughs> All right, so let's get started. Otherwise, this interview is going to be seven hours long. So tell me, how did you get started with writing? And like, when did you figure out that you wanted to be a writer? And how did you go about getting your first agent? Um, Okay, so definitely the answers to all of that are completely different. Because when I first got into writing, I was like a small little child. I was like five years old. And I would be really sad when my picture books would end. Like I got invested in them and they would be over and I'd be like, but what happens to the baby unicorn after this? And so my sister, my older sister would write like sequels for me and then let me like illustrate them. And then also sometimes I'd be like, well, this obviously happens next. So she'd have to write that into the book. So we would co-write our books and that, made me really excited about the idea of like writing stories and like I guess it was like five-year-old fanfic to be honest (laughs) that is the cutest thing I've ever heard I actually didn't know this so that makes me really no I didn't know this that is so cute I'm learning (laughs) we're so we're much closer now (laughs) best friends okay um all right keep Um, going (laughs) (laughs) so anyway um after that, like, I like always just love the idea of writing. And so I would like write stories based on stories that I like. So like fan fiction before I knew what fan fiction was. And I wrote like fan fiction for like the Redwall series and stuff like that. And fan fiction for like the Final Fantasy games. Um, and then around the time that I was in middle school, I started to like want to write original fiction. And I wrote this epic murder mystery, like romance 
like if it was if it was published now it would kind of be like new adult because she's in like college age Mm -hmm. um and it was epic and I and I wrote the whole thing I was like 13 and I wrote this like 300 page murder mystery manuscript um and uh, like you know all complete with like those scenes where literally all she does is like eat dinner because I thought that that was important (laughs) anyway so I was like I'm gonna be a novelist and I remember telling my parents that I was going to be a novelist and they were like, okay. And, there, and then my dad being the sneaky Korean dad, he was, he was like, oh, you know where you should go to college because they have a really good literary program, Yale. And I was like, that's it. I'm going to go to Yale and become a novelist. And he tricked me into applying to Yale. <laughs> and but then I didn't get in. So like jokes on him. Yeah. Um, but I did, I really wanted to be like a serious, uh, uh, writer, like not, not writer, a serious novelist, because that's like what I thought it was when I was like 15 years old. Um, I 15 year old me had a lot of misconceptions about <laughs> writing. Yeah. I mean, that's, I don't a hundred percent blame you because I think the literary world is very sort of like snobbish and they project that idea a lot that the genre fiction is not real writing and that you have to write these like serious books about men cheating on their wives in the suburbs in order to count um (laughs) but we know that's bullshit so so what we now know we know we know all we're all knowing no yes we are we are god that's completely not true yeah you guys heard it here first on red or die (laughs) cat and clarabelle are god no don't say that jesus is watching me you know how i feel about this (laughs) but we're like the demigod no 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 no? okay (laughs) just like Godlings. <laughs> Godlings. No. <laughs> okay, we'll talk about it later. Okay. <laughs> when Jesus isn't watching. Okay, so you didn't get into uh, fancy school. What what'd you do next? So then I gave up on writing because I was a proper Korean daughter and I decided to do pre-med. And, you know, life stuff happens. And to be honest, like there was one really big traumatizing life event that happened um, to our family. And in my grief, like one of the only things that really gave me any kind of like joy was writing again. And so I just started writing just to have kind of an outlet that wasn't real life because real life really sucked at that Mm -hmm. point. Um, I, and I know you went through this too. Like, and so I, you can understand like sometimes you just, you know, your brain is so many things are happening. You have really bad anxiety. You have all this stuff going on that's causing you a lot of pain and you need somewhere to focus your brain. That's not on your, you know, your trauma, your grief. Mm -hmm. Um, and writing really did give me that outlet. And, um, and, and part of the reason why I found it again also was because I had this really weird dream. (laughs) Oh God. Um, cat's dreams are legendary they are the weirdest weirdest dreams (laughs) I'm excited to hear this I'm just I'm scared no I had this weird dream where my family were the the descendants of this long line of ancient Korean warriors um and we were tasked with you know protecting the peninsula and making sure that like you know people were protected from like demons or whatever they're supposed to be protected from And, um, it was, it was like really fleshed out. Like my grandmother was like the high, like the head, the high elder. And she decided like who got to be trained, um, to be warriors, like who were, 
was like uh, fit to be a warrior. And then I like begged her to allow my like boyfriend, I guess, to be trained as a warrior. And she was like, no, he is weak. He's weak. And I was like, I love him. And then she let him train and then he died. Uh, I know. It's so sad. And then, so I woke up crying. I was like so emotional. And the first person I talked to was my cousin, Axie. Axie O. She's an, she's a young adult author. She wrote and, Rebel Soul. Go get it. Yeah. She wrote Rebel Soul. It's amazing. Companion novel is also coming out next year. Um, and Honestly, I was like, you're a writer. I did that thing that family members do, right? You're a writer. Write that story. <laughs> um, like a total jerk. And she was like, uh, you write it. And I was like, good. Yeah, I don't want to. And then I did. Um, because like, she was like, just do it, just do it. And like, like I was saying, like, it's a, a lot of stuff was going on and I was like, maybe I'll try. And then when I did, like, it was just this great escape and I wrote this 110,000 word book in 19 days. Holy shit. I know. It was so bad, Clarabelle. Like, Can I read it? Do you uh, still have it? I do still have it. It's so bad. I want to read it. It's got every single trope, but like not in a good way. Like we should, we should do a separate podcast where we read a chapter of that book every episode. I, I demand this to happen immediately. Like that, like that podcast, my dad wrote a porno. That is my favorite podcast. It is so funny. If you guys haven't listened to it, it is so disgusting and great. It, it's exactly what it sounds like, and. It's amazing, except with British accents, which makes everything better, in my opinion. Sure. I'm um, gonna tell I'm gonna tell Karen and Georgia that you that they're not your favorite podcast. Well, excuse me, they are my favorite. I just you just I, said my dad wrote a porno is your favorite podcast. It, I can have several favorites. That's fine. Uh, okay, interesting. I'm learning new things about you, Clarabelle. Don't be a hater. Okay, so <laughs> so what next? So, okay. So I wrote this book and even while I was writing it, I wasn't like, this will get published or anything like that. I was like, I just want to write, I just want to get the story out, which is like a thing that I realize now is like a writer thing. Um, and I, I wrote the book and then I, I loved it. Like I honestly, like I wrote this book and I would, I would write like, you know, 10,000, words a day or something like that, like an irrational large amount that I wouldn't suggest anyone try to do because it's not healthy. And I would, and then I would read that on the way home from work on the subway and mm-hmm. read it and be like, yeah, this story, it's so <laughs> great. Um, because I was living in my ignorant bubble at the time. Amazing. And yeah. And, and also the thing that I did, which like is just proof that Axie is the same is I would send her these chapters. Oh, like, Axie. Like, yeah. <laughs> And she would read these first draft chapters, actually being a serious writer, querying agents, you know, writing her book for publishing, her like jerk of a cousin sending her these like, you know, pants chapters that she wrote so fast and being like, what? And then she read them. And I was like, looking back, I'm like, oh, I'm so glad that we're blood related and you can't hate me. (laughs) You're not allowed to hate me. You're not allowed to tell our grandma. (laughs) Well, that's one thing that I think is really important for like newer authors to keep in mind, which is something that I notice a lot is like they'll write something and then they'll send it immediately. And it's like, try not to exhaust your CPs or like your readers. (laughs) Like, like don't make them read things like 500 times, you know, because it, 
the same way you can like sort of lose distance from a story and like read it so much that you can't really see it for what it is anymore that can happen to somebody else as well so like make sure that it's as perfect as you can make it before you send it to people that way you know you you they can read like maybe once or twice tops but like not like five times because you're gonna keep changing things over and over again and you don't want to like Especially if it's a good CP and somebody who gives you really good feedback and stuff. Like, that's not easy to find. So be considerate of that for sure. Yeah, um, I agree. And I also I also think, like, there's always going to be a learning curve, right? Like, mm-hmm. in the beginning, you probably won't know when it's, like, the best you can do. And that's fine, too. It's, it's not necessarily, like, you know it's the best you can do in this moment. It's just that you know you've put, you've put like, work into it. Yeah. Like, like if, if you can look at it and be like, Oh, I get like, I, I tried, then maybe, you know, <laughs> do another revision because it shouldn't be like, eh, kind of a feeling. It should be like, yeah, I did. I put, I put actual effort into this. So it's worth sending it to someone. Yeah. And um, it's not rushed. Yeah. Like I've looked at it several times and mm-hmm. I didn't write it in like a night and then send it to someone in my excitement because that's like your adrenaline speaking most of the time. And like, just you being happy that you wrote something, not necessarily that it's any good. Sorry. Yeah. No, yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think that, I think that there are like really, really, really special cases where there's like someone who you're so close to them that you can brainstorm with them and you can send them little blurbs that are for stress. Yeah. I mean, we do that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. But like, I'm not sending you like 50 pages of first drafts. That's (laughs) a waste of your time. Right. Exactly. I I would never do that. Yeah. And I'll just not read it anyway. So. Oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye. Well, then. All right. Well, um, let's keep it moving, Kat, because we want to get to, we (laughs) (laughs) We want to get to talking about like the creepy parts of um, of your book and like the scary stuff because remember this is a a Ghosttober um, episode so let's like let's get to the agent part. I'm just gonna let you go and and get us to that part quick. Go. Okay. Okay. I'll 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 stop going on tangents even though they've been delightful. Obviously. They have been and informative and fantastic. <laughs> but we'll have another episode at some point. That's not Ghosttober. That's like normal. <laughs> Well, yeah. I mean, normal in quotes. I'm doing air quotes right now. Okay. Um, okay. So then. <laughs> Translated so <I> wrote, well. <laughs> <laughs> I was using my sarcastic voice. Anyway. So then after writing that book, I was like back in the writing bug and, and um, going back, it was, it is relevant. The fact that I sent these first draft pages to Axie, because then she was like, if you are so into this, if you love this so much, then you should get critique partners and you should look into querying agents because that's like, she's like, I'm doing that right now. Like if you love it, then put it out there. And it was terrifying. I like, I, when I say terrifying, like, I don't, I'm not, I can't say enough how terrifying it was because I need to control. So I need to control all aspects of my life. Like I am such a type A and the idea of like someone having subjective control over something I created was just something that I couldn't wrap my mind around. Mm. And so I kept on like taking baby steps. So like I did, I did post on forums to get critique partners and I did get beta readers and I did do research. And, and finally I got to the point where I knew that I, if I didn't try, then I would never forgive myself. Um, so 
it, when I finally decided, yeah, I'm going to like work to get an agent, I decided to write a whole new book because this first book was completely shit. Like it was bad. And, um, and I was like, going to do it right. Except for I didn't because I decided to write a book on trend. Oh no. Yes. And like, honestly, I know anyone who's listening who knows anything about the publishing industry knows that that's a horrible idea. And for anyone listening who is trying to get advice, then I'm sorry that this is the episode you're listening to, but also (laughs) (laughs) young adult, especially, but publishing in general is so volatile in what we call trends, which is like, to me, a curse word at this point Mm -hmm. that you, if you're chasing something that's already big right now, then by the time it gets through the whole publishing gamut, it'll be out of style. Mm -hmm. So it's just bad a bad use of your time to do anything that's considered chasing trends. Cause like you're just wasting your time. And also you're probably writing a book that you're not passionate about because the reason you're writing it on trend is just to get like that random trophy of like, I published a book, which is like fine in the context of like loving your story, but it's a horrible idea to do just so that you can like claim like the glory of it. So I did that. (laughs) You did that bad thing. I did that bad thing. To be fair, I did love the story. It was, it was an idea that I had that I thought was really good, but I pushed it forward because I thought that it was on trend and it was a space opera during the time that like, um, it's like, uh, what's that book? All these broken stars, the Titanic and space Mm, book, um, that had just been announced and they were like, this is going to be the next big thing. Space operas are going to be huge in YA. And I was like, Oh, I'll write the space opera really fast and I'll get an agent and I'll sell it. And then I'll ride the wave. And, um, and one thing that I also did in that book was that I did not include the the thing that got me excited in the first place, which is that I was the first book I pants was about my culture it was about mm-hmm. my family and us being like ancient warriors in, but in Korea. And I never realized that that's really what the thing that excited me because it was so foreign to me to be proud of my culture in such an unabashed way because I grew up in an area that like really just did not have any Korean people. Yeah. Um, I grew up in central Florida. And so I was always taught to hide my culture because that's the thing that got me made fun of. Do you need me to beat anybody up? Um, yes. If you want, yeah. If you want to go and like find <laughs> like Ashley from, from kindergarten and tell her that she was really mean to me. Then Ashley, you, you're in trouble. I'm yeah, you're in you. trouble. You were mean to me. I mean, I know you were six, but you hurt my feelings. How dare you? Anyway, <laughs> but yeah. So, and like, so like it's, it's a whole hindsight thing. Like looking back, I did so many things wrong with that book because it just wasn't me at all. And, but that is the book that I started querying with and failed gloriously. And I will, I actually would never trade that for anything because I'm so happy that I failed with that book, with a book that was only something that I liked and not something I loved because the pain that I felt was like buffered. And I, yeah. So I took that, I took that book to conferences. I actually met my agent when I went to my very first, my now agent, when I went to my very first conference with that book and she was lovely and delightful and did not seem enthused about my concept at all. (laughs) (laughs) But also I will say that Beth has the best poker face. Iconic. Yeah. Well, I can relate because I anonymously asked Susie like way before, um, 
I signed with her like years before, like, how do you feel about a fantasy set in the 80s on like Tumblr? And she was like, why 80s? Like, that's scary to me. (laughs) And I was like, okay, I'll just go die then. Yeah. And I literally never queried her because or anyone at New Leaf because I was so scared of them. Um, And DV Pit was like the reason why it happened. But I was like, (laughs) I was like, yeah, mm mm-mm. No, not for me. It's it's a no. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> it's so interesting too because like we even though we both got our agents off of a pitch contest um, or through a pitch contest, um, like both of our books are the books that where it's like hard to boil it down, to, mm-hmm. like because they're so complicated in a lot of ways. I agree. So yeah, if you say just like, oh, 80s, which book? Then people will be like, I don't 100% understand like <laughs> what that is supposed to be. But then if you like explain a little bit more about like, like the punks, the theme with like the punks and like the political climate and like all of that stuff, like, um, like then people would totally get why your book is amazing. And yeah. I thought, I think the same thing is true of that space opera that I tried mm-hmm. to yeah. query. Yeah. Um, and so then I queried it to, I queried it a lot. Like, um, I know that you've had some guests who queried like over a hundred and, and that wasn't me, but I, for me, it felt like a lot because I was still in that like horrible fear of like putting my work out there. So I think it was like 50. Okay. That's still, I think that's still a really big high number. I think yeah. 50 is a lot. Yeah. And I, yeah. And I think I got like a partial request because it was an agent. I, I, um, I pitched at the conference and they were just nice and then I got a partial request from someone and then that's it. And then everything else was, um, was form rejections. And then those partial requests turned into reject form rejections. And it was just like no enthusiasm over this book. Like, honestly, I could have quit writing because like, I, I, I thought it's my writing. Like my writing is what is bad. Like I am what is bad. And when I say like, I'm really grateful for this round of rejections with this book is because those very same agents that I queried and got form rejections from, when I finally put Gumiho out there, they were like the first people who came and were enthusiastic. And some of them were because they recognized me from querying them the first time around. And I was like, why? I was like, but you hated my writing. And it's like, no, we didn't hate your writing we just weren't enthusiastic about this concept. So when a writer is getting rejected in a query for a specific project, like I, I think it's really important to know that it's not because they hate you. Yeah, It's because they, all they have to go off of is this project and they can't sell this project. And so why would they do a business partnership when they know they have nothing to offer this author? Yeah. And that was so important for me to realize because also Beth was one of the agents who rejected me, which I've told her this before. She knows that she rejected the space opera and, um, and she obviously is the agent that I got off of the very first DV pit that was in 2016. That's how you and I met. Yeah. Um, Best friends. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> I remember like liking all of your pitches and being like, this girl's uh, cool. <laughs> yeah, I am pretty cool. Oh my gosh. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so then I pitched in, I pitched in DV Pit and to be honest, I was not even planning on querying anytime soon because mm. I was still licking my wounds from yeah, my first querying. Of course. 
And then I, but I had to, I was just like, I can't throw away this enthusiasm that has been gifted to me. And so, yeah, I queried, I queried agents off of DV pit and I was so lucky to find Beth off of it. And, um, and I guess like the rest is history cause that's now my debut book. <laughs> Amazing. And you blew up on DV Pit because we did the first DV Pit. And I think your pitch was probably either the one that got the most likes or like close to it. And it was just wild. It was so cool to see. And then like we got agent offers around the same time as well. And it was it was really neat. And like to think of everything we've been through since then, it's been almost three years now. Um, yeah. It'll be three years in April of 2019, actually, um, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, wow. Wild. Wild ride. I know. It is a wild ride. <laughs> I'm emotional it's been, now. <laughs> it's been really fun. I mean, DV Pitt taught me that, you know, it's uh, these events are not just about, like, getting agent attention. It's about, like, building community because people, established authors came out to support people during DV pit, like Ellen O was there. Angie Thomas was boosting mm-hmm. people's tweets. Like, yeah. like people who are, are heroes to the YA community yeah. were there in mass and like doing, doing it, you know, for people. And I think that's what I really like actually about publishing and like, you know, very specifically diver- diverse publishing communities is that people show up for each other and it's a beautiful thing to see. It is really nice. I think that's the best part of DV Pit, definitely, is the community. I know everyone always says that, but it's not bullshit. I mean, we are literally best friends, and we met because <laughs> of DV Pit. Like, it's not fake. It's real. Yeah. We're so real. <laughs> we're, we're the realest and yeah. so smart. Yeah. And the smartest. Oh, my God. All right. So you got your agent, and, like, I, I always I actually just talked about this in the last interview that I did today, but I always talk about this that I have two friends that like really inspired me to start Ride or Die because of their sub process and you were one of them. <laughs> um because like uh, at month two you were like, My book's never gonna sell <laughs> <laughs> You were having this like existential crisis and I remember when we went on vacation, we were in the car and you were like, I'm so emotional because <laughs> my book is never gonna sell and I was like, Cat, it's not true. <laughs> God damn it, I'm going to start an entire podcast to prove you wrong. <laughs> and that's what I did. No, yeah, you did. I remember that. I remember actually listening to um, Elle McKinney's episode, which was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, that's one of my um, favorites. Honestly. Yeah, that was an amazing episode of Red or Die. And, and you mentioned the two friends, and I was like, it's me. One of them is me. <laughs> I was like. I remember I was on a subway platform listening to it and I went, oh, and the people around me <laughs> turned around. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what was sub like for you on a side from horrible? Obviously the most painful, <laughs> like horrifying experience that I've ever been through my whole life. I died. Um, no, I, you know, sub, honestly, I would say that I, I feel like it was not just sub, it was just like, um, a perfect storm of transitional stages of my life. Um, so, so yeah, I don't want anyone to think that sub is this horrible monster of a thing. Um, just because I had horrible freak out anxiety moments. Mm -hmm. Um, I was trying to find a new job. I was trying to move from Chicago to New York. Like a lot of things were going on. Um, 
And also a- anxiety does amplify yeah. the oh, process sure. makes it even harder. So that that's a thing too. Oh, for sure. Um, so, and I'm also a type of person who I really, really, really want to be prepared going back to that whole, like I'm type A and I, I want to know my future is in control, um, or I'm in control of my future. So yeah, I, I, I looked up and listened to and read a lot of blog and a blog post and podcasts about the submission process. And I think people who have, you know, uh, great intentions are giving numbers because they're like, if you want a number, then, you know, here's the standard number that I am aware of mm-hmm. for like how long sub usually takes, or here's, here's, you know, if your book sells before a certain time points, then that's a huge deal because that means that people are so enthusiastic that they're jumping on buying your book. And that's something that can be said like in the announcement even, or something like that, like, you know, sold, immediately at, you know, in a, in a five-way auction. Um, and I think that I like to claim that I am a mostly rational, logical person, but publishing takes the most logical of us and turns us into anxiety balls, like illogical, like masses. And, and so, you know, that these, Cinderella stories are outliers, but you want to be that Cinderella story. Mm-hmm. And especially if you already have had these barriers and already had these struggles, you're like, I've worked so hard and I really want this. And I will. And if you give me this publishing gods, then I will work my hardest to be deserving of it. And then you don't get it. And you're like, oh, I guess I'm not worth it. I guess it's, it's not going to in the cards for me. I guess I'm useless. I guess I'm trash. And you start to go down these spirals and it's the worst thing to do to yourself, honestly, because I, I think that my favorite stories now after the fact, like, cause now I work in publishing is to hear about those books that sold for, you know, a night, a nice deal mm-hmm. and got, the most basic of marketing and maybe like a couple of, you know, bookstagrammers picked it up and then it still somehow blew up, mm-hmm. you know, like those are my favorite stories because those are the books that like through it all, like the talent and the story itself shines so bright that it still is like doing its thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I love those. So yeah, I, I, I bought into the whole, like the way your journey begins is how it will end. And, and that was really wrong. Yeah. And, uh, and also I, I do think like one of the things that I will say is that like when you have a really great agent, which I do, um, editors will, will check in, um, quickly with like, if they intend to read it or not. So I was really lucky because editors did check in pr- pretty quickly, be like, we'll read it. And then I was like, wow, it's going so fast. And then radio silence for months. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, oh no, like you get these high expectations. You think it's going so well. And then, and then it's not that it's not going well. It's like, it's going standard, but now, but because you already raised your expectations, what is standard is a letdown. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also, and we've talked about this before in the past so many times, DV Pit is such a public thing. And because we got so much uh, attention publicly, it puts so much pressure on you. And then like, you get an agent and it's all exciting. And then all of a sudden it's like, now you have to wait 700 years for the next <laughs> thing. And you're not the bell of the ball anymore. Yeah. And like, 
it's kind of like a, like a crash. Like you come down from like, you know, this high. And I think that's important, especially with the DV pit just passing um, this week for people who got a lot of attention to know that it's, it's awesome that this happened, but there's always ups and downs in publishing. It's never going to be like an upward thing. You're always going to have moments where you have to come down. There's going to be disappointments. So you have to sort of like prepare yourself mentally for those things. For sure. And, you know, honestly, I will say, um, you know, I think that you and I were in a very similar boat in that we got more than average attention to our, our Twitter pitches. Um, and then pe- so then people would be checking in with us and being like, I'm so excited for your story. And, and then also we were similar in that, um, our revision process took longer than we anticipated with our agents and, you know, revisions will take as long as they take. And I don't think anyone should ever, you know, rush them because that would be my biggest regret is if I had rushed my revisions. Mm-hmm. And, but the longer it, I took on my revisions, which like, I will say like part of it was the 2016 election just mm-hmm. made it. So mm-hmm. I was incapable of working on my creative work for, uh, for months. Mm-hmm. And really, I started, yeah. And then I started to blame myself and I started to say that, you know, and I started to feel guilty almost like I have people, I thought that people would look at me and my journey and see that I got this amazing boost and then I wasted it. I squandered it because I didn't put the work in that I should have put in, in order to take advantage. And then if I feel in the future, it's just my fault because I was given this and then I didn't take advantage of it. And and I kept on thinking that that's what people would think of me, mm. which no one has ever said that to me or intones that or implied that or even st- e- like, you know, like anything around me. I'll kill and them. I, yeah. And I still, I still convinced myself that people would think that about me because it was so public. Yeah. So that was, that was stressful. And uh, it really sucks. I mean, even for, you know, DV pit, it moves fast. And like, you know, I'd say another contest that moves super fast is Pitch Wars. Um, But I know people who, you know, were in last year's Pitch Wars and they just got an agent like this, you know, this summer or this fall. I know who you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) And that person's going to blow up. Yes. But I, and, and the thing is, is like me looking into that person's journey, I would never think those things that I was worried people were thinking about me, about that person. Mm-hmm. So I don't know why I was so worried because it would never even have crossed my mind. But, you know, we, we're all our own worst enemies at times. Absolutely. Okay. So you got your book deal. Everything is really cool. Your book mm-hmm. is going to come out. Now let's talk a little bit about Gumiho and the creepy shit that's in this book. <laughs> so first of all, I know you said that you, you're not capable of doing this, but I don't care because I told you you had to do this. So pitch your book, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So Gumi Ho is a young adult contemporary fantasy based on the Korean myth of the nine-tailed fox who can live forever if only she morphs into a beautiful woman, lures in men, and devours them. So my book is a contemporary take on that myth where it is a teenage girl who is half Gumiho. She's trying to live her life, trying to live up to uh, to filial expectations, which are for her to eat people and live forever. 
um, but also fit into a very human world that she exists in. And that's a wrench is thrown into that process because a human boy figures out her secret and then um, she turns out to be one of her new classmates. Um, and he's the type of boy who doesn't take no for an answer and only wants to have fun and doesn't understand what it's like to, you know, angst about, you know, your murderous tendencies. And he refuses to let her not be his friend. Um, and of course they fall in love. Yes. So, yeah. And it's the best and it's so good. <laughs> and I haven't read the fine, the, this last version, but I read like two Drafts yeah, maybe ago. like two revisions ago. Yeah. And it was already really good. So I'm so hyped to read this version and to get a whole tracksuit made with your face on it for your book <laughs> release. Or and or dress up like a fox. Oh, we're dressing Poncho up like a fox, I forgot. Oh yeah. Um, so that's gonna be amazing. Um, so I think that um from your first scene, like, you set up like fear really well. You set up like the atmospheric like spookiness of the book really well how did you go about doing that and like are there any tips that you have for people who are trying to write books that are like scary or have scary elements in them and um and have that sort of like spooky atmospheric vibe to it as well yeah I'm well you know I think one of the things that I um kind of wanted to do was just to show the dark side of Myung, who's my main character because for a lot of the book, it's her trying not to be dark. So I needed to make a foundation of like, what is her most basic savage instincts? Um, and then the rest of the book is trying to, is her trying to, uh, to break away from that moment. Um, so yeah, it was really important for me to show that immediately. Um, so obviously the very first scene, she's, she's on a hunt, she's hunting her prey. Mm-hmm. And it's I so think- dope. It's so dope. <laughs> It's really dope. Like it just, it hooks you immediately. And it's one of like those moments where you start reading a book and you just feel like, oh shit, this is going to be really good. Yeah. I I think the moments when things are the creepiest to me um, are not when someone is sociopathic. Um, so like someone who's a sociopath actually doesn't have empathy uh, they don't feel anxiety, so that's why a lot of um, so, some of those these biggest serial killers in history are sociopaths and got away with it for so long because they never showed anxiety. And you know, detectives were looking for someone who like looked nervous, but that's not the case with with you know a lot of uh, like serial killers, mm-hmm. um, as you well know, Clarabelle. Yes. My favorite bird. Oh, I don't know if I can sing that. Oh song yeah, no, copyright, copyright. No, 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 I no. only sang two Steven. seconds. Steven, <laughs> take that out. <laughs> oh no, our person is Peter. Remember, Peter, 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 cut that out. <laughs> And then you have to give Pancho a cookie at the end. Yeah, he will just – he always barks. I'm surprised that he hasn't so far. Maybe he knows it's you and he's, like, being quiet out of respect. Stepson. So <laughs> – anyway, so to go back, yeah. No, I don't think it's creepy when someone's a sociopath. I mean, I think sociopaths are creepy in real life. But in writing, I think, or in storytelling, I think the moments that where it, like, kind of really hits home and starts to, like, evoke an emotion is when some, someone does something – horrific. And even, even though they have empathy and, and the sense of humanity, they somehow convince themselves that they had to do it or, or, you know, they somehow 
and somehow um, create like this type of coping mechanism for for why like this happening is not like their fault or is not on them or it's like mm-hmm. it's the only way for them to move on, right? Mm-hmm. Like um, I would say a, t- a television show where um, I really like the way they did is actually Vampire Diaries, which I know some people will probably be cringing right now. Um, let and the, I will let like, them cringe. Yeah, the first few episodes of the television show is is as hokey in its most like CW teenage format. But when you get more into it, one of the main characters, um, Stefan Salvatore, is this is this vampire who who refuses to drink human blood. And at first you think like, oh, he's like Edward Cullen and he's just <laughs> this virtuous vampire for a boring reason. But it turns out that when he drinks human blood, he becomes what we call a ripper, who is someone who can't stop and he gets so into his like basic need for blood that he will he will literally rip his victims' heads off. Oh, that's that's kind of cool. <laughs> horrible and, and fascinating. And there's these scenes within the series um, where he does it and then it's like he comes out of this like fugue state and he sees the head and he starts being like – and he starts saying to his victim, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And he puts the heads back. Oh, no. And he's like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You'll be okay. You'll be okay. And he's like talking to them and it's his humanity in that moment. That makes it creepy, you know? Oh, my God. That is – I got chills. I'm so scared. Stop it. Right? But, like, it's true. So, like, when I was writing Neon, yeah, there are moments where she's, like, justifying what she's doing. She's like, I have to survive. Mm-hmm. I need to do this. I would die if I didn't kill this man. And she picks um, specific victims, too. She does. To make it less bad, I guess. She does. She tries to justify it. And she's still mm-hmm. murdering people. Yeah. And- the, the whole first half of the scene is her justifying mm-hmm. this thing that she's doing. And then once she does it, she has to be face to face with this person who literally tells her, I don't want to die. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I know you don't, but neither do I. And like, does it anyway? Uh, iconic scene. <laughs> One thing I really liked about your book is like how sort of believable and awkward your teenagers were despite like the um supernatural elements to it um how did you balance the two things like making them like real teens with like teenage problems but also these like sort of magical like paranormal type of things going on at the same time and not let one overtake the other um oh definitely the awkwardness is like an own voices thing (laughs) (laughs) I totally used own voices wrong. I'm so sorry. But like, I own voices for left-handed man. Um, no, but no, it, it, it comes from my own heart is how awkward I am is how awkward all of my characters are. Um, so yeah, I mean, the thing is, is that what I absolutely adore about young adult fiction and kid lit in general is no matter what genre it is, the whole point of it are the characters and like their personal journey their character arc from like point A to point B. And it wouldn't be a book worth reading if you didn't have those characters to follow throughout the story. And so, yeah, at the end of the day, I would rather make sure that my characters are, are, you know, are people worth, you know, hearing their story than like adding like an extra paranormal or, you know, supernatural element. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I think that's like my biggest focus most of the time. And then, um, and then I, but I am a huge fan of fantasy and supernatural things. So I think like, 
it, I just like put in as much of that as I could mm-hmm. while still like really, really trying to focus on the character elements. And, and I, and I ended up finding some kind of balance, I suppose. And it wasn't easy. Like I've been writing this book for a while. <laughs> yeah. I mean, listen, relatable AF, you know, I'm on the same train and I think you did a really good job. And I think that next year people will know that too. And if they say otherwise, I will block them. (laughs) She's going to make a big block group of everyone who says anything I don't like. (laughs) I will say, though, also one of the things I think that I I drew inspiration from that does this really well, the whole, like, you know, awkward, real human aspects with um, supernatural elements is K-dramas. Mm-hmm. And because well, yeah, because could- that's like sort of a comp you sort of use in Gumiho, right? Like K drama, like K dramas are like collectively a comp for Gumiho. Yeah, well, because I um, I based actually a lot of the format of the storytelling on Korean dramas because I find I find Korean dramas to be so character focused. Um, so it just like really plays into like my whole philosophy of storytelling anyway. And also, you know, K-dramas are the best and they're so fun and the relationships are so angsty. And I would say like, if you're a person who is kind of like tired of certain tropes in YA, Korean dramas could potentially make you love those tropes again, because they don't do it in a, um, in a predictable way, which I love. I haven't watched a K-drama yet. I know, and that's like one of the biggest contentions of our friendship. I know. I'm sorry. Yeah, but it's okay. Well, okay. If we go on vacation again, then we'll watch something together. How about that? Okay. We should watch Goblin because it's really good, and it's what my second book is based on. Your second book. I can't. Oh, there's another one. (laughs) I can't wait, and I've read pieces of it, and it's so good. It's so good. Yeah, those I are can't the first wait. draft blurbs that I sent you yeah. the, for the second book. I am also really excited for people to get to know how much I sing everything at all times because I don't do this on any other pod- podcast episode. And, like, people don't realize, like, I literally sing all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I think that's why I'm the Karen of this situation here because she also sings she does she has a voice like an angel just like you oh oh thank you and i'm georgia because i'm like i sound like a small child even (laughs) though i'm a full-grown woman which i say with love i love georgia's voice i adore her she follows me on twitter but she's yet to interact with me it's fine i'm not her whatever whatever (laughs) imagine i got them on the podcast i would die i should try to do that that would be you should i mean they wrote a book so they did they did you, you could definitely, I'll BCC you on the recording. You'll just be oh there silently. God. I would die. I would die. You'd We'd be both insane. be dead. Then there would be no podcast. Yeah. Um, all right. So uh, I feel like this is the most casual episode of Writer is Die it? ever. But it's really good. I like it. Um, yeah, because I'm, we're just chatting. You know what I mean? And it's like, it's just chill and good and awesome. Should be my co-host. I should. I'm a great. I think I would be a great co-host. You would. We'll ask people if that's what they want. And yeah. Do you guys want me to be the Georgia to to Claire Bell's Karen? AKA, do you want her to be a co-host for those of you who don't listen to My Favorite Murder? 
If you don't listen to My Favorite Murder, you have to listen to it now or else you're uninvited. Not everyone is okay with listening to murder stuff, Kat. Oh, fine. Okay. (laughs) I'll take it back. So everyone who's on the podcast either gives me their most embarrassing publishing-related story or something they wish they'd known before they started. So you can pick either or. You can do both. It's up to you. Uh, um, most embarrassing. My well, most of, a lot of my most embarrassing involves you actually, because you're always there for my most embarrassing moments. What a really good one was with Daniel Jose Older. I orchestrated that. You did. You you made it. You made it embarrassing. <laughs> I didn't do it. You I'm, did it. I, I'm not sorry. But yeah, so I had met Daniel Jose Older like once. And was a, I'm a huge fan of him, a huge fan of his writing, and also of, like, him in general because he's just such a, an articulate and, like, well-spoken person. He's a ledge. Yeah. And um, so I wanted to I wanted to meet him again, and I, and I didn't want to be so presumptuous to think that he would remember me from a year before. So I asked Clarabelle to introduce him to me. It was, like, at an um, ALA or Book Expo or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and Clarabelle's like, no, nah, I don't want to do it. He's like eating French fries. Like he's busy. And I was it like, was oh, French it was French fries. <laughs> it was. I was like, Clarabelle, please. And she was like, oh, fine. So we walk up and, and have like, cause Clarabelle never does anything, uh, purely nice for me. She said, so Daniel, Kat wanted me to introduce her to you, even though she's already met you before. <laughs> And he was like, dude, I, dude, I remember you. I know who you are. You're Cat Joe. And I was like, oh, really? <laughs> and then Clarabelle goes, look how red your face is getting. <laughs> because my face was getting so red because like I was feeling a lot of emotions. I was like so honored that he remembered me still. And so happy to be being able to talk to him because I think he's amazing. And, and also, I mean, like, I, yeah, I think he's just a cool dude. Like I want to be friends with him and stuff. And Clarabelle sitting here being like, your face is getting so red. Whatever. I cried when I met him. If I have to suffer, so do you. It was so embarrassing. But then Daniel defended me. He did. Cause he said, don't throw your friend under the bus like that. So therefore he is, he's on my side in this situation. It's fine. I, I, I don't regret it. I would do it again this way. It was, worth it. <laughs> I still laugh every time I think about it. Yeah. It was, it was embarrassing only in the moment. Like now after the fact, I'm kind of like, oh, that happened. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't, I mean, yeah, it's fine. And like I said, I cried when I met him. That was infinitely worse. So yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I'll give a thing like I wish I had known. You can use it or not. It's fine. Um, we'll see if it's good or not. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, something that I wish I had known is that, um, is that things do, do super happen at their own pace. And I understand that we are impatient and that publishing is slow in general, but it's not just the, the writing that happens slowly. It's not just the getting the agent and getting the publishing deal that happens slowly. It's literally everything like you making your community will happen, will happen at its own pace. And when you get into the writing community, when you join writing Twitter or writing Instagram or whatever writing community you choose to be a part of, and you see all these people who are best friends and you see these, these groups that are tight close knit critique partner groups. Mm -hmm. And you go, why don't I have a friend? Why don't I have a critique group? 
I, I think the important thing is to is to acknowledge the fact that those people have built up their relationship over years, yeah. and and they look great now. But three years ago, they were saying the same exact thing to themselves. Yep, hundred percent. Writing is a very lonely venture, and community is really important. But I also think that there is a folly in in enforcing things and pushing things and in being and in allowing yourself to become bitter because you don't have this thing that you want right now. That's really important. It's super important, especially because for whatever reason today, Twitter's talking about like people who use one another to like make friends and to social climb or whatever. Oh, they are. Yeah. I have not been on Twitter. I am a psychic. I'm Twitter psychic. (laughs) So, So that I think that's important to know that like some people seem unapproachable, but it's just because uh, you have to be careful at a certain point too. Um, but it's free to be nice to others. Yeah, I think anyone would be nice to you if you were respectful of their space. Like if you were asking them a question in a forum where that's appropriate, then they'll probably be nice to you and answer you. But if you're like trying to slide into a really famous author's DMs, then I wouldn't really expect a reply because that's that. I mean, they have their own writing. They have their own friends. They have their own community. And or using one writer to get to another. Yeah, that's all. I mean, yeah, that's I feel like that should be a given that that is wrong. (laughs) It's so gross. It's it is really gross. And and, you know, to do that, like you can't expect that to stay private either. We're a small community. We hear things and we don't, and we never forget. (laughs) No, we're like elephants. We are like elephants. And elephants are really cute. And they're actually my favorite animal. They are? Yeah. They're my sister's favorite animal. That's why we love each other. Yeah. I liked her immediately. It's because we've got elephants in common. And surprisingly, I don't think they're too big. Oh, even though whales are too big? Yeah. Whales even are the, in the water and they're too big. It's different. Well, that's why they're big, Clarabelle. I don't want to talk about it, okay? Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> we shouldn't get into another fight over whales. Another, yet another fight about whales. Yet another whale fight. Oh, about that time for another whale fight with Clarabelle. Our, our monthly whale fight. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta check the calendar. <laughs> Uh, can you tell people where they can follow you on social media yeah so on twitter i'm at kat cho k-a-t-c-h-o on instagram i'm at kat j cho because kat cho was taken so Mm. if you guys want to dm that person let them know that this is really important to me (laughs) but don't really because that would actually be rude they seem like a lovely person (laughs) um but yeah at kat j cho on instagram and then my website is katchowrites.com Yay, and make sure you add Gumiho on Goodreads, and I will link all of that in the show notes below. Kat, thanks for being on the show. Not like you had a choice. I made you do it. I love you. You're the best, and yeah, thanks again. Thanks for having me, and I love you too. Yay! And and give Pancho a cookie. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Fright or Die. Please don't forget to check out all the links in the show notes below and follow me on Twitter at Clarabelle underscore Ortega. See you next week.